around you. You've got a nice cold drink. You're having a good novel to read. You've got some nice music going on. You're feeling very relaxed. You're feeling very good about yourself and your circumstances, right? You got the movie? Now let's hear it. Look what you... Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's hard, isn't it? It's real difficult to say, look what you did to me, if your life is working well, isn't it? The cost of holding on to that resentment is that you have to have a miserable life. Otherwise, you can't say it with any kind of congruency at all. Is it worth it to continue holding on to past hurts in order to be able to say that? Or like we talked last time in terms of forgiveness, is it okay to let go of holding on and enjoy Kauai? It's a decision. It's a choice. You can hear the choices. <laughs> on the other hand is a feeling of entitlement. I deserve something good. I've had six months of sobriety. I deserve my boss to treat me better. Or because I'm a woman or because I'm a man, I deserve A, B, and C. Entitlement is a non-reality. The fact is, life ain't fair. Life simply is. And whether you're working a good program or working a bad program, life still is. And you can be a real scuzzbucket type of program and good things happen. You can be working a very respectful program and have a lot of bad things happen. That's life. Another element in this process of resentment is the following question. What did I do wrong? Yeah, yeah, what did I do wrong? Hear that question. How often have you asked that question? What did I do wrong? That kind of defensive posture. Hear a different question that takes you from relapse into recovering. What am I doing right? Very different question. What am I doing right? What am I doing that's compatible with what my higher power would wish me to do? What am I doing right that lets me feel good about me in transit? You need to be careful of the questions you're asking. What am I doing wrong at best will get you zero. At best will get you zero. What am I doing right can get you into the positive numbers. An example of that resentment and having a choice happened the first time I went camping with friends of mine. I hadn't camped since I was a kid. Bob and Lily hadn't camped ever. We went up the Dardanelles. Any of you familiar with the Dardanelles up by Kennedy Meadows? Bob bought a tent. I bought a tent. Bob bought a uh, Coleman stove. I bought a Coleman stove. We were going to camp. We got the wood. We did everything. We set up camp. The ranger says, hey, sorry, fellas. You're in a flood zone. you got to move. Now, I'm not that easygoing after carrying a lot of wood down to a walk-in camp. Putting up a tent that you had to have an engineering degree to put up you know, to be done by kids. 
We get it. We move it all to another site. We get it put up off of the background, black clouds. Black clouds. Do you know what black clouds mean up in the mountains? It means, oops. As the black clouds came was thunder and lightning. Here's the kids and Sonia and Lily in the tent. The kids are crying and Bob and I being men are standing outside in the rain. You know? Bob's in construction, so he had a lot of visqueen, so we put visqueen over everything except the fire. We were smart enough not to put it over the fire. And we're standing out there feeling a lot of resentment. You know, what did we do wrong? It's not fair. Afterwards, the storm did pass, as it always does. The storm always passes. We dug down into the fire pit. There's little tiny sparks. And so we got some toilet paper. Crumpled it up, put it on those little sparks, and went, <laughs> you know? And we put some little twigs on. And then finally, we put on the wood that had been saved by the Visqueen. I want you to ask yourself how do you approach your recovery? Is this how you do it? You put a match to the log. Burn your fingers, get irritated, light another match, put it to the log, burn your fingers, get more irritated, third match, tenth match, twentieth match, you finally say, screw it, fires aren't possible. I wasn't made for recovery. It may work for him, but it ain't gonna work for me. Or, you do it this way. Get some kindling. Or in my case, you get some toilet paper. And you, until I get started. Or do you want to stay stuck in your resentment? Ask yourself how you're fueling your recovery. One way cannot work. The other way is a natural process of working. The third R is reactive versus proactive. How many of you go through life looking at life through the rearview mirror? Try driving that way, it's not very safe. We react instead of choose how we want to respond. Proactive is very different than reactive. Ask yourself these questions. See how familiar these questions are. How do I want to handle this? What's my goal? How have I learned uh, from the situation? Can I learn something? What would my higher power have me do? These questions lead to proaction. Or you can have a knee-jerk kind of response, and it isn't going to work. I guarantee it won't work. In terms of reactive, One of the things that is most common in adult children 
one of the most common things of all is I don't want to be like mom. I don't want to be like dad. You ever notice that thought? I'm going to do it different. I'm not going to be like him. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to gamble. I bet you I'm not. For the next 15 seconds, I want you to try an experiment with me on how to create an obsession. How to create an addiction. For the next 15 seconds, I want you to not think about yellow. Don't think about yellow. Your life depends on it. If you think about yellow, you're going to be kicked out. We have people monitoring. We know if you're thinking about yellow. Don't think about yellow. Remove yellow from your mind. Make sure you remove yellow perfectly. If there's any yellow in your mind at all, you'll be escorted out of the room immediately. How many of you succeeded in the exercise? How? She thought red. She cheated. You didn't follow instructions. Shame on you. You succeeded. You know how you succeeded? Because you didn't follow instructions. The only way to win in this experiment is not to follow the instructions. The way the unconscious mind works and the reason that reactive is one of the R's of relapse is that in order for the unconscious mind to comply with the request, it has to think yellow to remove it. How many of you suddenly start thinking of yellow when you hadn't earlier? Your hands do work. Yeah, okay, admit it. Now let's say something like, I'm not going to abuse my wife. I'm not going to get into a hurtful relationship. I'm not going to whatever. And what you'll find is it actually helps program the behavior you don't want. It's very different proactively to say, this is what I want. That's the roadmap that we keep talking about. This is what I want to do. This woman cheated, she thought of red. It's the only way to succeed. That was proactive. You proactively thought of something instead. You had a goal. If you want to be successful in your recovery, you need to shift from reactive to proactive. You will not make it in recovery reactively. Fourth is the difference between reliving and living in the present. One of the addictive draws to reliving the past is feeling bad about what happened initially. Feeling bad about what you did in past events. And saying to yourself, why didn't I do it differently? You ever notice that thought? Am I the only one that has that thought? No, huh? It's familiar. Why did I do this differently? Why didn't I do that differently? It's a great way to drive yourself crazy. 
Next time you hear that question in your mind, I want you to do the following. Before answering that question, answer a different question first. Why didn't Custer use tanks at the Battle of Little Bighorn? Answer that, then you can go back to your original question. But you need to answer that one first. Why didn't Custer use tanks? Men died because Custer didn't use tanks. That's how much sense it makes when you say, why didn't I X, Y, Z in the past? That's the difference. The fact is that change is only possible in the present. It is most easy to make change with both hands in front of you. It's most easy when the new program adult commentator is nurturing and celebrating and encouraging you every step of the way. That living in the present makes recovery, relatively speaking, easy. Trying to live in the past, it is impossible to go to the party I had yesterday. It was great, it was wonderful, you can't do it because it was yesterday. You need to accept the past is the past. The present is the present. In the present are wounded kids inside of you from the past. That's the present. 1989, today, at this moment, there are many in the audience with wounded kids. The wounding may have happened 30, 40, 60 years ago, but the fact is, in the present, those wounded kids are still disconnected. Those kids still need nurturing in the present. When you can answer why Custer didn't use tanks, then you can start haranguing yourself for why you didn't do things differently. Until then, it's not allowed. Fifth R in relapse is regression versus the new program adult. This is an extremely important point because what happens with adult children is that in the process of disconnecting, these kids are sort of hanging out, usually behind iron bars, with a jailer that hates them, with a lot of disgust on the part of the, the conscious mind. But these kids are loyal. These kids inside are loyal. And so when the adult cops out, the kid goes ahead and drives. A six-year-old, like I shared the first night of the very first talk, six-year-old Jimmy inside of me, little, little wounded Jimmy, who's not really wounded anymore. He feels real good about himself. But even as a kid that feels good about himself, he's not capable of talking in front of 600 people. It's not respectful to let a little kid do that. It's not respectful to send a child to do a job that would be difficult for an adult to do. And what happens with adult children frequently is that they regress. And in that regressed state, they try to carry on adult functioning. I want you to take a moment and reflect to the last time you said to yourself, I'm overreacting. Or that you said about somebody important to you, they're overreacting. Take a moment and reflect back on that.
I believe that is an inaccurate statement. When I hear that, I have the same kind of feeling when somebody says, I'm just a secretary. I was a secretary. I know that's where the power is. You'll never convince me that anyone is just a secretary. Okay, I know different. I was one. I know where the power is. In the same exact way, you need to be aware when you're sending a child into an adult position, that kid is not overreacting. The kid is simply reacting like a kid. Watch the labels, will you? Be aware that a kid is going to act like a kid. It's normal. It's normal for a kid to have black and white thinking. It's normal for a kid to have magical thinking. You know what magical thinking is? It's where I, as a center of the universe, cause anything bad that happens. I was bad, and that's why my folks got divorced. I was bad, and that's why my dog died. I was bad, and that's why my friend had to move away. It's normal development for kids to have magical thinking. When that same magical thinking happens in the body of a 40-year-old man, people say, that guy is psychotic, or neurotic, or screwed up. You're going to be real clinical. The fact is, when I would regress, I was just being a kid. That's not overreacting. If you can understand that, then it directs you on a path of change, a path of choice. If you're saying, I'm such an inadequate person because I'm overreacting, you simply make the regression more profound. It's a vicious circle. On the other hand, when you feel that little kid feeling, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just notice how familiar that sense that the world is big and you're little, that feeling they're going to find out you're a fake, they're going to discover that you really aren't who you are, that feeling. When you've got that feeling, instead of saying, boy, I must be crazy, which is often a common fear with adult children, they often feel like they're going crazy because they're seeing and feeling too accurately the fact that no one's home inside because of the disassociation, the rejection of self, the shame that's been drowning them all these years. Once you recognize that that's just the kid inside, then you can do something about it. The new program adult, 5%, 3%, 30%, Put your, you can put your arm around yourself and say, it's okay, Jimmy, I'll give the talk. The adult can say to the kid, I'll handle it. I'm not sure how. I don't guarantee I'm going to do it perfectly. But I'll give you odds that an adult doing an adult task has a better shot at success than a little kid does at an adult task. Would you agree with that? That adults can probably do better on adult tasks than little kids can. So the next time you feel yourself going crazy, 
when you feel like somehow you're going to just fall apart with anxiety because you feel like you're going nuts, first thing to check, the very first thing to check is how old do you feel? If you feel like you're real little and you feel like you're real young, maybe it's because at that moment you are real little and real young. And maybe your perceptions are not crazy, but accurate. And maybe what needs to happen is for you to accept that that's where you are at that moment, to put your arm around yourself, and dig up as much of the new program adult as you're able to at that moment. Reach out for your higher power, you know. Get your big brother to put his arm around you and just kind of hold you for a while. That can help the new program adult get back behind the wheel. If you mislabel it as somehow overreacting, you miss the point. It doesn't help you prescribe a course of action for change. Now, in addition to the five R's of relapse or shifting back to old program, there are also five R's in recovery. Those of you that know me know the subtle irony of me using things like letters in my talk. I had to check the spelling of every word that went on the transparency because I can't spell very well. In the past, that was a source of shame. Now it's like, I can afford a secretary. <laughs> so I can't spell. I'm still lovable. That's recovery. I don't have to be embarrassed about my shortcomings. I don't have to be embarrassed about my limitations. I can continue addressing those limitations. It's not licensed to go ahead and say, well, I can't do anything, so I'm just going to hang out. It's not licensed. It's the freedom to accept myself where I am in transit. The five R's in recovery, reality. The yucca word. The word that we tend to really try to avoid, reality. Reality and accuracy go like this. Reality is what allows you to have a choice. Accuracy is what allows you to see what is so you can move to the side of the road and avoid the collision with the truck. The foundation of recovery is reality. Not judgmental reality, observational reality. The second one is another word that tends to be misunderstood a lot. Responsibility. We tend to think that means blame. It's your responsibility. Oh, no. And you shrink up and you regress as a little kid. Responsibility simply means I did what I did up to and including this moment. I own that I did what I did. That's what responsibility means. Nothing more, nothing less. It doesn't mean blame. It doesn't mean self-rejection. It simply means I did what I did. I want to share a little story that Nathan, my six-year-old son, he got all dressed up 
Now, I think this must be his concept. My wife picks out my clothes for me. I'm color insensitive, not color blind, but she's got great taste, right? <laughs> she's here. <laughs> oh, what the heck. Nathan decided he was going to play therapist. I don't know where he ever got the ideas. His mother and father are both therapists, but I don't know where he got the idea he was going to play therapist. So he decided he was going to get dressed up in my clothes. So he had a pair of my jeans. Now, he, he's, a, he's a fairly small frame six-year-old. He had my jeans kind of clotted up. He had my snow boots. It, every well-dressed therapist dresses this way, right? <laughs> had a shirt of mine that was dragging on the floor on each arm. Had a vest on that was you know, way down below the snow boots. And he was going to be therapist. So he said, sit down. <laughs> Takes after me, real direct. <laughs> What's your problem, he says. And I said, I don't know, I, I want to quit smoking. And he kind of does this. He didn't have a beard, but you know, he kind of does this. And he says, take the cigarettes out of your pocket, throw them away, and don't smoke. That, huh? A cure for smoking through a six-year-old's eyes. What was at the heart of that was real wisdom. Real wisdom in a six-year-old's eyes. If you want to not smoke, the first step is throw away the cigarettes. <laughs> oh yeah. What he didn't realize that another part of responsibility besides throwing the cigarettes away goes back to the first transparency tonight and that is the self-image thermostat. As long as I see myself as a smoker, then when I'm not smoking, I'm going to feel deprived. Along with Nathan's counsel, which was very good advice, I would add one thing. Allow yourself to begin to see yourself as a non-smoker. Picture yourself in situations as a non-smoker. How do you look as a non-smoker? What do you do with your hands? You know, that's what, I, what, what am I going to do with them? I'll get into trouble. How can I relax? So you begin to see yourself relaxing as a non-smoker. It's pretty easy these days to see that because there's a lot of non-smokers. But if you don't change the self-image so that the responsibility, the person who is doing the act sees themselves as a non-smoker, you are going to feel deprived, irritable, resentful, and probably become a smoker again. You need to take the responsibility of throwing the cigarettes away and changing the self-image to include the changes that you're working toward. Taking the responsibility to choose to get that new program adult more present. Taking the responsibility to choose to nurture yourself for small steps forward. It's a decision. And without taking the responsibility 
to choose manually to not go with the default mode on the computer, you will continue going down the relapse path into old program. Responsibility doesn't mean blame. It simply means I am the doer in my life. I take responsibility for what Jim Henman does. It doesn't mean I like everything he does. It doesn't mean I'm doing the same things today that I was doing 12 years ago. I would hope to say that what I'm doing now isn't what I'll be doing 12 years from now. But right now, today, I take responsibility for me as a chooser to choose differently. Third are in recovery, regret. I've mentioned regret in some previous talks. It's not because I'm sadistic. It's because I'd like it to be successful for you. If you don't allow yourself to feel the regret, the grieving, the natural, normal grieving that goes in the process of change, the chances of relapse are very, very great. And the chances of recovery becoming a real, vital part of your life is very slim. What happens is often that you'll use fear to motivate yourself rather than regret. Fear that if I take another drink, fear that if I don't uh, deal with this eating disorder, I'm going to die. Fear that if I don't uh, uh, overcome this problem, I'm going to have relationship after relationship after relationship that is dysfunctional. You finally get tired of fear and say, forget it. You tend to relapse. The regret is not the same thing. The regret is the honest feelings of loss, wishing things had been different, feeling the pain that they weren't. Feeling it like a wave that comes and goes. Hear the last part of that? And goes. Important, underline that. And goes. You don't have to hold on to regret. You feel it and let it go. You feel it and you let it go. No value is, is served in holding on to it, but every value is served in allowing it to come and wash away the pain. The pain washes away the pain. The honest regret helps the healing process of the shame and the guilt. Regret is not the same. The fourth R in recovery is respect. You've heard me say this over and over and over again. And over and over and over again, I will say it over and over again. Is this guy nuts? Is he repeating himself? Is he repeating himself? Yeah. Because unless you get that clearly in your mind, you won't make it. It's literally a matter of life and survival. You can survive without respect. You can't live without respect. Respect for self in the present, respect for self in terms of the wounded parts in the past that are there still, respect for those around you. Now people say, well they gotta earn respect. Okay. 
the kind of respect I'm talking about is that says every human being deserves to be valued. Every human being deserves to be treated with good faith. Now there's different kinds of respect. There's like there's certain therapists that I respect because they have a really good skill. There's other therapists I don't respect. Not all therapists are the same. Some therapists are schlocks and some therapists are wonderful. Some hospitals are wonderful. Some hospitals aren't as good. That's reality. That's reality. Not all people are the same. Having an experience with one hospital doesn't mean it's the same as another. Having an experience with one therapist isn't the same as another. But the fact is, every human being, everyone in this room, including the speaker, including the guys behind the cameras, deserve to be treated respectfully. That includes protecting the other person from bruising you. That is part of respect. Allowing someone to hurt you is not respectful. Allowing someone to treat you disrespectfully is not respectful. Part of how I show my caring and my respect for you is preventing you from bruising me. Stopping you from doing that. That's a respectful thing to do. You can't get into recovery. You can't get into living without respect. And finally, relationships. I'm just going to touch on this very briefly. Next week, the entire talk is going to be on relationships. Building, recovering relationships. I think it's such an important element. I said, I think it was last week or the week before, kind of, the talks kind of blend together for me that recovery is basically a relational issue. Spirituality is a relational issue. Religion is a system of rules and, 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 and organizations. Spirituality is a process of relationship. You need to build relationships with yourself. How can you do that if you don't see yourself as even being worth spending any time with? Before entering recovering, Sonia and I used to have a problem. And the problem was, I always wanted to have people around all the time. And Sonia didn't count because she's my wife. She had to love me. <laughs> you know? Because if I was ever by myself, there was no one there. And I mean that very, very literally. When I would be alone with no distractions with Jim, there would be no one there. Some of you know how painful that can feel. To suddenly experience the nothingness where self should be. Allow yourself to kind of get a sense of that. How important it is in the process of relationship to realize that you need to start with a relationship with yourself. That's not the kind of Marin hot tub, do your own thing, narcissism that's destroying our country these days. But if I can't have a relationship with me, how can I have one with her? 
or her? Or you? How can I do that if I don't start with a relationship with myself? I think one of the difficulties for many people in the 12-step model is that, first of all, they tend to try to approach the 12-step model perfectly, which isn't very easy. And they stumble in the second and third steps about higher powers. What I have found in my experience is that often people aren't ready to deal with a higher power issue until they first have some time to experience acceptance from another human being. It's like once they begin to experience that, then the notion of there being something or someone out there, and whoever, whatever that's defined by the individual person, that in that relationship can also be something loving. We tend to think the higher power is like our own parents. And that may not be useful. If you were beaten up a lot, you know, if you were clubbed up alongside the head, if you were sexually abused, if you were physically battered, if you were emotionally treated in a sadistic kind of way, and if that's your model for your higher power, how can you turn to your higher power? Would you? I wouldn't. So the relationship with the higher power also needs to include the kind of respectfulness and the kind of valuing that you believe you're getting back from that higher power. I believe my big brother loves me. No one can convince me otherwise. But I also believe just as strongly that he sees me just the way I am. He sees me in all my flaws and loves me perfectly. How can you ask for more than that? It's a pretty good deal in my book. But until you begin to find yourself becoming more respectful towards yourself and feeling a sense of some degree of acceptance from another human being, many times it's very hard to take the step of spirituality. And I'm not talking religion. I'm talking spirituality. And those are two very different things. I'm really excited about the recovery skills training course because in the process of learning to accept that you're starting where you're starting, in the process of allowing that new program adult to gain skills, and I do believe that recovery is a process of building skills. That's what the course is all about, is learning how to deal with yourself differently, how to deal with others differently, and how to be able to be more accurate. I don't think it gets better than that. I really, really don't. What I'd like to do is for you to take a moment, just for a moment, and feel what it's like to make the decision, and it is a decision, to make the decision right now at 10 after 9, at this moment, to choose to treat yourself in a more loving, respectful way, as is, to come as you are party, as you are at this moment, to feel what it's like to make that decision, to put your arm around yourself, as is. 
feel what it's like to make that decision. Feel what it's like to make the decision that you are worth putting the sweat and the energy into to gain new skills. One of the obstacles often is, I don't know how, therefore I can't do it. Not knowing how is not a sin. Not knowing how is not a problem. You can always learn how. Once you accept you don't know. Accepting you don't know, breaking through the denial, that's the problem. Feel what it's like to make the decision that you're worth caring about. Take a look at your current living circumstance. Is it respectful? Are you respectful to those around you? If the answer is yes, take a moment and enjoy the answer. If the answer is yes, celebrate that. If the answer is yes, enjoy and look at what you're doing that makes that happen. That's great. If the answer is no, leave your feet on the ground and don't kick yourself. And instead, put your arm around yourself and say, what are we going to do different tonight when we leave this talk? What little step can we do right now with what I've learned tonight to choose differently right now to begin that path? It's as easy as that. And then you spend a whole lifetime doing it. Doing it can be tough. Beginning it is as easy as that decision. The decision to get on the bicycle was my obstacle. Once I learned to do it in a useful way, when Sonia taught me how to do it in a useful way, the riding the bike is no difficulty, but it is a lot of sweat. It's a lot of work. Recovery is a lot of work. But it can't even start until you make that first decision. And there's no one here that can't make that decision right now. You don't have to know how to do it. That's a cop-out. The decision is all you need to do. And then take action on it. Now, as usual, I forgot to tell you that, that we'd be collecting questions. <laughs> Take a moment, if you have any questions, jot them down, and I'll answer some. There's one question from last week that had to do with relationships that I really want to answer next week. I got it. If you can keep the questions somewhat short, my dyslexia really shows up when I try to read a long question. I stumble all over myself. So keep the questions short, and I'll be more than happy to answer. Let's take a little break. If there's any questions, jot them down. We'll collect them. Thank you very much.
And that concludes Roadblocks to Recovery. Thank you.